Hi, welcome to the Bridge Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following message. For more information on all that's happening at the Bridge Church, please visit www.bridge-church.com. That brings us to our message today. So today is, as promised, part two of the Undesirable series. Last time I was up here, and pardon me, last time I was up here, we sp- I spoke about having the right stuff. And today, I'm going to transition that. So we walked through with the apostles, primarily Peter, because Peter's pretty awesome, um, through as many complexities to illustrate how Jesus loves you and how he chose you knowing that you have all of these complicated, complex things about you. I mean, let's be honest here. There's a lot going on, right? But today, as we close the two-part mini-series, we are going to continue talking about Peter because, again, he's so cool. And we're going to walk through a moment that he felt everything. And I'm talking about everything. This man was so emotive. We'll get there. So <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to go a little deeper into to what was going on with Peter and his, his emotions. And we're going to talk about the other stuff. The stuff that the enemy wants to use to keep you thinking that you are undesirable. But it's really all the stuff that God says, no, that's what makes you desirable. So I'm going to read a passage. And, and okay, back on the transparency trade, I've been attacked with a large couple days worth of, of vertigo. So right now, the room is spinning. Um, But that's just the enemy. Given that in mind, when I close my eyes, the vertigo is absolutely so much worse. And it makes me think, okay, you're trying to shuffle stuff up. That's fine. You can't come against me, enemy, because I've got Jesus. So if I look down and I get a little tipsy, you know what what I'm doing. (laughs) But at the risk of that, I'm going to ask you guys to lower your heads and close your eyes. And just listen, as I read out the main verse that we're speaking of today. So I know I can't exactly do that right now, but I'll do my best. Imagine you're in the garden, and Jesus has been praying and praying and praying for you. He has been sweating blood and feeling everything. He has begged his father not to take that cup. But then he comes in and says, no, Lord, your will. I am afraid, but I want to follow your will. And then the soldiers come. And Judas has led them there. So Jesus is also heartbroken, even though he knew Judas was going to do it. 
How heartbreaking would that be? But they asked, and Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. He stepped forward to meet these guards. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. I am he. Jesus said, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene, I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malachus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? And go ahead and open your eyes again. Could you feel what it would be like to be in that garden, the intensity? Now, I notice I focused a lot on Jesus, but what was happening there with Peter? Peter went through such a range of emotions that he literally felt everything. Now, what I love about John, I read from you from John 18, started at verse 4. But what I love about John is John is not afraid to tell it how it is. Luke, Mark, and Matthew all say, one of Jesus' men cut off the ear of a guard. John says, nope, that's my boy Peter. If you don't know from them, you know it from me. That's Peter. Peter drew his sword. And who would be surprised? Because we, last time I was up here, talked about all the crazy things Peter did, right? He was up and down an emotional roller coaster. Who, in, who, who here ever feels that? <laughs> I will be the first to say no one can accuse me of being passive or unemotional. <laughs> Just today, I was driving, and a, a van pulls out, and Jack can attest to this, pulls out with his um, trailer, and I nearly slam into him. I was nearly the Hulk at that point where I'm just like, come on, can anything else come against me today? You need to learn to drive. So then when I had the opportunity to do it to someone else, I was like, er, nope, I am not carrying on that. I am not gonna do what happened to me. <laughs> Even though I had had to take a few breaths and I was like, calm down, I'm not gonna be the Hulk today. So I definitely understand Peter. I understand what he's going through because as he's here, he has so much love for Jesus. And Francis was amazing when she was talking about the different types of love. So he had the phileo love, the love that he didn't quite understand the agape love yet, but he had that brotherly phileo love for Jesus. And they were coming to take him away. What would you do? If I'm becoming the Hulk for someone cutting me off, what could you imagine I would do if someone took my Jesus away? Right? The good thing is no one can take your Jesus away because Jesus faced his fear and drank from that cup and went and took on all the pain for you, for me, for everyone in this world. 
But that's a scary, scary thing. But Jesus also felt a whole number of, or sorry, Peter also felt a whole number of different things. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So psychologists will tell you that there are primary emotions, right? And they just kind of house all the rest of the gunk that goes on in us. Some say there's four primary, some say there's six, some say there are eight. I'm going to talk about five today. Five primary emotions. And that is happiness, sadness, uh, disgust, anger, and fear. So all of which you can see in Peter in this moment. Because he's happy he's with Jesus, but he's terribly saddened that they're taking him away. But he knew everything was coming. Everything Jesus told him this was going to happen. Did that stop him from feeling it? No. Definitely not. So... The enemy has a great many tactics that he uses against us, but he will always use something close to home, and he'll use your emotions against you. One of the easiest things for him to do is to get into your emotions and to use them to steer you away from your purpose, your position, your power which is Jesus. So, our boy Peter was such a passionate guy, right? No doubt about that. He knew what he wanted, when he wanted it, and he was going to get everything balled up and confused naturally because he was so passionate, but he acted out against it. So, one of the things he wanted was to be with Jesus forever. So the enemy uses that as a threat to come against him and puts things, shows him, actually shows him that he can't be physically with Jesus forever. Well, I don't know about you, but again, I would be cutting someone's ear off. Sure, don't take my Jesus away from me. The thing is, is that Peter didn't understand the plan. He didn't understand that Jesus had to go through this process in order to be with him forever, right? Because Jesus had to die and then be reborn and resurrected so that he can come and live within us as the Holy Spirit. But Peter didn't get that yet. So he's in ear-slashing mode, and he's just ready to go and say, hey, I don't like this. I don't like what's going on because this is not how it's supposed to be. Does anyone feel that way? Anyone want to wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, this isn't how it's supposed to be? Every day. <laughs> Every day. But then I realized, no, it's not how I envisioned it, but I pray that I have followed God's will enough that it's still how he envisioned it. Or at least that he's getting me back on track to what he envisioned. So, 
the thing that we like to think about emotions is that they happen one at a time, right? Now, happiness, we'll start there. Happiness is happenstance. You get happiness from circumstances, which means everything around you has to be great in order for you to be happy. Now, can you be happy 100% of the time? No, do you want to be happy 100% of the time? I'm sorry, I'm not drinking my step for juice today. <laughs> I will be happy as time suits. And can you be sad when you're happy? Yes. Have you ever experienced such a happy moment? Say you were proud of a family member or so excited that love was working out for you, or say graduations, right? Graduations is an example because it's a transition process and you're so happy you or someone you love has achieved this wonderful momentous moment, but that also means facing something new and maybe your child is moving away, or maybe you have to go start a new job. So, and I don't mean graduations necessarily as in, you know, cap and gown. Graduations can be any transition in life. But you're happy that you've achieved this momentous occasion, or your loved one has achieved this momentous occasion, but you could also be sad at the think, wow, this is a closure of a chapter. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those are wrong feelings. What I love about Jesus is that he has feelings just as we do. He was praying out of fear, out of sad. He was so sad to see the destruction of Jerusalem. He was so angry to see what was going on in his temple. I mean, let, let's face it, Jesus could be angry, y'all. And, and the Bible says, and also what we just sang, is that he is slow to anger. So can you imagine how slow and how long it took him to be angry when even taking into account the, the temple table toss? I mean, let's be real here. He's going in and chucking some tables because he's that angry. So, so for a God who is that slow to anger, do you know how bad it had to have been for him to come in and show that much anger? But his anger is righteous. So did God give us emotions? Yeah. They, he did. He wants us to emote. But once again, all of, God get, all of God's gifts, the enemy will use and twist it. Just as he twists his words, the word, and everything else in between. Because the enemy wants to destroy you. And he will use sadness to keep you stuck in your bed, not wanting to get up, to pull the covers over your head, and stay there forever, hiding away from what troubles you. As someone who has experienced depression, I understand it is a very difficult thing to overcome. And I do not say that you are wrong for feeling it. 
Okay, so don't, don't misunderstand me. But the enemy will use it to keep you down there. He will use it to keep your head buried in the sand. He will use it to keep you so low that you believe absolutely nothing about yourself. Believe in nothing that you are absolutely worthless, that you are so undesirable that God will turn his back on you. But God's just sitting there waiting for you to pull the covers over your head from away from you to stop keeping you blind, to just let you see him, let you see his love. And he will come knocking at your door. How many times have you been down in a sad state and someone sends a text or someone randomly knocks on your door and says, hey, how's it going? Or you see run into someone, a friend on the street, if you happen to actually have to force yourself out of bed and make your way through to the street to walk there. If you run into someone, how many times has he sent someone? But the enemy is saying, you're not good enough to receive that. The enemy is saying, that's not God. But he does. You may not feel his loving, tender arms around you, holding you tight, but they are there. And the enemy wants to keep you so caught up in your emotional feelings that he will not let you feel the physical things or vice versa. He will keep you so caught up in your physical feelings, like me feeling like the world is spinning right now. (laughs) He didn't want me here today because something needs to be said. So it was so easy to think, oh, I don't feel physically good, which then when you're physically drained, how emotionally drained, how prepared are you to help with the world? Nothing. Nada, zip, zilch. I have no energy to face the world when I am in physical ailment status, right? But God's grace It's there. It is ready. He is ready for you to take hold of that. So we've talked about happiness. We've talked about sadness. Let's talk about disgust. (laughs) The enemy wants to say it is disgusting to feel disgusted. Disney will tell you that it's to keep you from being poisoned or physically both physically and socially. So if anyone has seen Inside Out, it's kind of a thing. Sorry, my kids, they direct what comes up here, okay? So the, the evolutionists or Darwinians, oh, I said that in church. They'll tell you it's to keep your mating habits genetically fit. So, you know, you got to keep in line. You're disgusted by this person, so you better stay away from them. Don't mate with them. Let's be real here, people, right? I think God uses an emotion like disgust to help trigger something that needs to be changed. That's my feeling. That's my personal, you can put that on me. Don't be be calling up Pastor David saying, look, this is what Deja said. This is my feelings. I think God put disgust in us so we can see something that needs to be changed. For example... I, again, don't be knocking on Pastor David's door, y'all. I am personally disgusted by young girls dressing in excessively revealing clothes. 
personally just, and, and I'll tell you why. In the moment, you know, you can think, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, easy to see. It's easy to tisk in my head. Shake my head and think, oh, that's just disgusting. But if I listen, now, now here's, here's where we peel back the layers of, sorry, this is falling off. I move too much. Here's where we peel back the layers of what's really going on with our emotions. Now, I can sit in that disgust and think, I just don't want to see you. Mm, put, that, put that away. Just put that away. I don't want to see it out in the streets. Or I could pause, listen to that small whispering voice to find out what I'm really disgusted with. Am I disgusted with the vision or the sight of this poor young girl showing so much? Not really. I, if I listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance, will finally come to the realization that it's not tact or taste that is disgusting me. But the enemy's vile corruption, and I'm reading this because it's a good one, all right? So pardon me as I'm not, it's, this is it. It's the enemy's vile corruption of the innocence by over-sexualizing young people to thinking that they can get love, that they can get attention, and that they can get fulfillment by dressing in such ways. Am I disgusted by the poor girl? No, it is not the girl. It's the enemy I'm disgusted by. It's the enemy that fuels me disgust thinking this is awful. This is horrible. Because it's not just the sight of her. It's not that poor young girl. It's the world telling her she needs that. So that is what I'm disgusted with. It's the enemy. Because behind Typically, behind everything you're disgusted with, the enemy is whispering, and the enemy has a play on it, like a marionette doll. He's playing everything that's going on in this world, and he's trying to play you and play your emotions. Now, if I didn't have Jesus, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit, I may be stuck on the realm of this poor girl and, and being disgusted with her, but that's not what Jesus taught us. Jesus teaches us to love. Jesus teaches us to see what's going on. And so just like when he comes into Jerusalem and sees his temple being so corrupted, he was disgusted. He was absolutely disgusted. And what came from that? His righteous anger. Now, we can't have righteous anger if we don't know what's right. If I'm stuck on the, the surface level emotion, letting them drive the wheel of my existence, my beings, my reactions, my everything else, I'll just, oh, that girl, her parents are just so horrible. All right, you can laugh because that's something we really, or cry because I'm a crier for something like that because that is the thought that comes into our head, isn't it? Her parents didn't raise her right. But is that the, really the case? No. No. Not necessarily. Because 
the world did her wrong, which means the enemy did her wrong. Girl needs Jesus. Now, what happens if she has Jesus? Girl needs to stop letting her emotions drive her. Because what happens when you let your emotions drive? You start tipping tables that shouldn't be tipped or tossed, right? Jesus was righteous in his anger because he understood the right disgusting thing to be angry at. But if we're angry at things that aren't necessarily the right things, we're going to be starting setting fires ablaze that aren't the right ones. And then they catch and they spread. And that is just no bueno, right? That is not a good thing when we start Letting our emotions take the wheel. Letting our emotions drive us. Because our emotions don't know where we're going. Do they? All they know is right here, right now, right here, right now. Oh, let me think of the past. Yeah, that happened. So let's bring that in there right here, right now. I'm going to react. But... If I don't react, if I just act with Jesus and act from his love, then we're starting to get on the deeper levels of righteousness. So how would I start to toss and tip tables for those poor girls? Well, I need to come against the things that are doing that, right? That's a social thing. That's a world problem. That's an enemy problem. I need to fight the enemy, and yes, you can be angry in doing so. And yes, it will be scary. Right? The enemy loves fear. The enemy loves fear so much, it is his number one driver. He can use fear to turn you from Jesus like that. And I don't necessarily mean backsliding. I mean taking a step to the left instead of the right, which sends you on a whole nother path. Yeah, backsliding too, because you're afraid. You're afraid that you are undesirable and how undesirable person can go before Jesus and ask for help. But let's backtrack. Jesus has already told us we've got the right stuff. He chose us from our mother's womb. So what do we do? God will use what we choose to drive with, no matter what. If we're cutting off ears out of fear that we are on a path that Jesus is not directing or is doing it wrong, because let's be honest here, how often do we say, Jesus, you're doing it wrong. This isn't how it's supposed to be, right? So if we start cutting off ears out of our fear, then can we get back to being with Jesus? Well, no, let's look at Peter. Did Peter get back to being with Jesus? I would say so. Spoiler alert, we covered it last time. He got to change the world. He was part of a world-changing movement 
right? In the moment that he's cutting off ears, he is so driven by fear and driven by anger and driven by sadness that he can't see what's really supposed to be happening. But then, after it all plays out, after he betrays Jesus three times, after he says, I phileo you three times, Jesus was able to bless him with the Holy Spirit because Jesus knew his path, right? So we fast forward. Did Peter ever make mistakes after he was part of this world-changing movement? You bet he did. He was saved. Holy Spirit was on fire, literally. He had it in him. And he still makes mistakes. But guess what? That's okay. Because Peter wasn't alone. The whole Christian movement, if you want to call it that, did not rest on Peter's shoulders. Nor does the world rest on yours. Life as we know it will not cease to exist if you make mistakes. Peter went back to his, I'm only sitting with the cool kids, ways. In Acts, we hear these stories, and Paul is like, dude, what's up? And this is after Paul's been saved, because he has some emotional stuff going on. Talk about emotional baggage. But Paul is telling Peter, and they're button heads, you can't exclude people. You can't just pick and choose who is good and God's children based on whether or not they have cut a certain piece of part of their anatomy. So Peter makes mistakes even after he has the Holy Spirit. Did that stop him from being so influential? Did that stop God from using him? Did that stop any of the great work that he did? Absolutely not. So it's okay do we want to strive and not strive, but do we want to work to do our part for God? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. Are we going to get it right every time? Nope. Absolutely not. But the difference to me is whether or not we let our emotions drive ourselves or whether or not we take a breath and let Jesus take the wheel. I love that song, Jesus Take the Wheel. I used to hate it because I was so like, oh my gosh, that's so Christian. Like, Jesus Take the Wheel, why is this on my radio? How dare you defile my ears with Jesus on my radio? Oh boy, did I need Jesus then. I'll tell you now, that was before I was saved, by the way, so don't hold that against me. But even as I sat there, listening to country songs talking about Jesus, right? I needed him so bad, I couldn't see it. I couldn't even see the pit that I was in. I couldn't see the darkness that surrounded me. Because all I could do was take my disgust from the surface level disgust, oh, don't play Jesus on my radio, to... Now I'm standing here helping to teach and preach about Jesus. What was the difference there? I made a choice. 
And that choice was simple. I let Jesus take the wheel. How ironic is that? One day, years ago, I'm driving thinking, oh, that is so horrible. I hate this song. Jesus, take the wheel. This is such a joke. Who was the joke? This guy. I was the joke at the moment because I couldn't see that. But when I actually said, all right, Jesus, this is so, isn't it ironic? (laughs) Sorry, I'm going down the songs list today. Isn't it ironic, don't you think? that I'm now standing here doing what I'm doing. Thank you, someone got it. <laughs> Love Alanis set. So now, all because of that little divide and disgust and that deep breath before letting fear drive me. The fear didn't know where I was going. Jesus did. So when I let Jesus take the wheel, I said, okay, you be my GPS. Now, what happens with a GPS? If you take a wrong turn, it reroutes. But sometimes in the rerouting process, it'll yell at you, turn around, take a left turn, turn around at the next light, turn around. And you're like, stop it, I know where I'm going. Right? When I'm driving, I think I'm smarter than my GPS. How many roundabouts have I circled? Just turn around, turn around, turn around. Now, that voice is so mocking. Like, have you sat there and you just want to punch your GPS? You're just like, seriously, stop it. Even if you know where you're going, right? When you let your emotions drive, it's like getting in the car and saying, okay, here you go. Turn around, turn around, turn, stop. Because your emotions do not know where you're going. But when you put your hands in Jesus, his GPS will be, take a left turn. And you're like, oh, okay, yes, take a left turn. Take a right turn. Oh, you have arrived at your destination. And his guidance is loving and kind. And it's not a slap in the face to say, you didn't know where you're going. I know better than you. It's say, it's okay. You veered off course, but I'm going to get you there anyway. I love my GPS when it's in Jesus' hands. <laughs> and that's even if I think I know where I'm going. Because let me tell you, I took some directions into Glasgow to a place I've never been. Guess where my GPS led me to? The back alley. Because sometimes that GPS is wrong. But when I just said, okay, Jesus, I think I'm near it, but can you help me out here? And I know that's such a simple, like, I don't know, do we ask God for parking spots type of thing? But the answer is, thank you, I heard it, yes and amen. Why? Because we ask him for everything. We put everything in his hands. Sure enough, I did not listen to my GPS. I listened to my inner self, the Holy Spirit, (laughs) not myself, because if I was driving myself, well, we all know how we get insane. So, which by the way, side note, the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over and over without, with expecting a different result. Who's ever reached that before? God is that different component. You're not doing the same thing over and over. So I listen and I just 
took a deep breath. Sure enough, it was a right turn and a right turn, and there I was at, my destination, because he knew where I was going. He knows where you're going. Now, that is an example because I'm quirky, but the truth is he knows your purpose. He knows your destiny, and he knows your power. He knows what he can give you. He knows what he's going to give you, and everything leading up to that is to prepare you for that. So don't run when you think you're off course. I, I, I hearken back to this is not how it's supposed to be. Well, no kidding. But what did you do to get yourself there? It's not always God's fault. It's not always the enemy's fault either. The enemy loves when we sit back and say and blame him for everything because he's getting press, isn't he? He's getting attention when we blame him for our simple mistakes, when we cut off ears instead of take a deep breath and accept that Jesus has a plan, right? But the truth is God's going to use it. We see it time and time and time again if we listen and read the word itself. Now, we're not all Joseph, okay? So Joseph is known for the enemies meant this for evil, but God will use it for good and to save many lives. Joseph was awesome. I am so far from Joseph. So far. He just was able to suck it up and bear it and thank you, God. I will stay in this pit for however many days. Thank you, God, I will stay in this prison. Thank you, God, I will remain a slave. Thank you, God. I'm not that good. I'm like Samson. Ooh, honey, you had one job, dude. Don't break the three rules. One job, don't break the three rules. Don't eat from the dead carcass. Don't, you know, the three things that he had to do, chopped off his hair, now tell me what the similarities between Joseph and Samson are. Did God still use them? Did God still use all of their troubles for the good and the saving of many lives? Amen, he did. One went about it completely different and completely righteous way. And his treasures in life were shared for generations. One didn't do so good in the hot, you know, I mean, he, he was a wild, hot mess. Sometimes I feel like him some days. But God still used him for the saving of many lives. The, your, your passion, right, your emotions, your things like that, they are gifts. But they're not all gifts for you. They're gifts to be given. Now, what in those five things, because I think I've covered them all, happiness, sadness, disgust, anger, and fear. We good on those? We know them. We feel them, right? Every now and then we let them drive, and then every now we say, no, Jesus, take the wheel. What is missing from there? Joy, peace, love. 
I don't care what those self-help books will tell you. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. Love is an action. Love is a gift. Peace. Francis, amen for Francis for talking so much about peace because that got me through my whole week last week. I needed that peace because I needed to know that even in the sorrow, even in the pain, even in the crazy, and I'm talking if it's me, it's like extra crazy week that I had, God gave me peace. Those are gifts from God that he puts and gives to you. They are not emotions within you. So if you're at peace, you better be praising God because that's a gift. If you're acting in love, that is by the grace of God because he knows what we're capable of. And if you have joy, that is your strength. And it is God. That is God working through you for the saving of many lives. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. I'm hearing the, the whew, I love my cheerleaders down here. But we all know, right? God has a plan for us. And we are so focused in our little bubble of what this looks like for us that we forget that it is for others. We're so focused that we don't have the right stuff, that we are so undesirable, that we cannot be used, that we cannot be loved, that we cannot be strong, that we cannot fight this health issue, that we cannot fight this addiction issue, that we cannot fight whatever is going on in our lives. But the truth, the truth is that God fights it for us because he desires us we are sons and daughters of God almighty we are his children and he will not let us die the death the enemy wants to see us yes our bodies are going to die but as a child of God whoo you're going to heaven. Where all this doesn't matter anymore. Does it matter? Yes, it matters. It matters to the degree that you share the gifts that he has given you to get more and more and more people up there with you by your side. But it's all going to be oh. Okay. To let your emotions drive you in a moment is for that moment. But to let Jesus drive you in a moment is for life. He will use everything. We get so caught up in the right stuff, the other stuff. It's just stuff. The enemy says you are undesirable. But Jesus says, no, 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 honey. I desire you. You are my child. I love you. And I have plans for you. I have plans that will take everything that you have been through 
and I will make it for good. Nothing is wasted. We still read about Peter. We still read about Paul and all the other ones, cutting off ears or not. Throwing rocks, murdering apostles, cutting off ears. Jesus loved them all regardless because he can. But guess what? With him, we can know that agape love too. And we can give that because he gives it to us to give. Our gifts are to give. Is my wild and crazy emotionalness a gift? Amen it is. I started off here thinking I'm not going to be able to stand. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be nauseous up here. And now look at me. Why? Because I let my physical feels and my emotional feels not drive me. So, is it hard? Yeah. It is so, so hard. Right? Because the enemy wants to keep us in our emotional states because they are prisons. Our emotional states, I talk about being driven by them, but they are prisons. They are bars cling on us if we let them take the wheel. Jesus is our light. He is everything that is good. But sometimes we have a hard time seeing it. You can see this in prisoners. Actual prisoners, not just, you know, prisoners of the enemy. Actual prisoners. When released on parole, sometimes, and this is not a stereotype, this is not a, a judgment, but sometimes, just sometimes, they fear their freedom. So they commit acts to get them back to what they know. So... This is the same for military personnel. It's easy to look at prisoner and say, oh, you can't rise above it because that's just what you know. Well, it's the same for military personnel. The people are heroes who go and put their lives on the line. They are so used to something, they fear freedom. So my question is, are we going to fear freedom? Or are we going to turn around and say no to the enemy? Because Jesus went to the cross to give us freedom. He faced his fears. He faced that emotional overload. Because I don't know about you, but if you're sweating blood in prayer, that's got to be pretty emotional. But he faced it. And he did it anyways because that was his path so that he knew. I mean, could you imagine if he let his emotions drive him and said, Sorry, God. We wouldn't be here. Because one man, and he was a man, decided to put his faith in his father. We are here living, breathing God's breath. So can you do it? 
Well, yeah, Jesus was a man when he did it. Everything Jesus did as a man was to show us what we can do. He became a man, not just to feel our feels, not just to walk in our steps, to say, look, see, I've walked, I know, I know, child, it's all right, I've been there too. No. He wanted to show us, well, yes, but most, he wanted to show us that we can do it. We can stand up to the enemy and say, no, not today, Satan, not today. Come back tomorrow. We'll see how I'm feeling then. Of which you can say, not today. Right? It certainly is not easy. Because the enemy, once he sees you pull your head out of those covers and start to say, no, God has a better place for me. I may not be where he wants me to be or maybe I am maybe I'm right where he wants me to be may not be what I expected but he will use it he will waste nothing if you are a slave like Joseph was cleaning the master's house that doesn't mean that you cannot be leading the nations doesn't always mean that you will. But it doesn't mean you can't. Because everyone has a purpose. If we were all nation leaders, there would be no nation. There would just be leaders. Everyone has a place. And it's okay to let Jesus show you what that is. Now, is he going to bless you like a nation's leader? Yeah. But your blessings may not look like mine. And that's okay too. So often the enemy will use that. You don't have the right stuff. Nope, I've got other stuff. I've got what God gave me. And that's enough for me. Because God is always enough. Always enough. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our website, www.bridge-church.com and connect with us via Facebook and Twitter.